Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 197 with Znore. This episode needs no title. Synchromistic blogger, author, Virgo. Join the team as we go down the rabbit hole and get to know Znore, a Canadian in Japan making magic from the likes of McKenna, PKD and Joyce more accessible to all. Well met and welcome. Uh, welcome to you guys. <laughs> What is up, dude? Uh, long story short, uh, I became aware of you in, through Always Record. You did with uh, Wally Schrold, who's actually been on this podcast before. Um, and I kind of want to get him on with you or some other people at some other point, neither here nor there. But uh, I was starting to hear stuff at a time in my awakening process that was making me realize there's a shit ton more to the picture than meets the eye. Stuff that I'd never heard of um, coming up in multiple levels being spoken cogently about by fairly intellectual people. So it was rather compelling, but also uh, joyously illuminating. Very cool. It felt almost like a psychedelic drug trip in itself. Um, so that's kind of the context. I haven't ever really spoken with you before, so I do appreciate you uh, giving us your time. You're in Japan right now, waking up. Uh, Rafael is in Vienna, and I'm in Colorado. So something we do here on the uh, podcast is to correlate the episode number, which in this case is 197, to Major Arcana, which in this case would be 8, which is strength. I face my fears with the strength of love and patience. Strength is about trusting yourself, letting your inner endurance shine, using your power to embrace the amazing person within you, you have everything you within you you need to succeed. Raphael, what would the angel card be? So we got the angel number 11. Lauvia, it is the angel of victory. This angel helps you attain the grace of God and acts on memory and intelligence. It is associated with the seven of pentacles and the affirmation is, I release my old fears of failure and learn from the results of my mistakes. Lovely cards. Uh, but out of curiosity, Nor, if either of those resonated in any way for you, let us know. Mm, um, yeah, that, <laughs> not exactly. So, so the one, the the one ninety seven. How did you connect that up to the uh, the Arcana? So, uh, one nine seven. So one and nine is ten, and then ten and seven is seventeen. But one and seven of the seventeen make an eight. Eight is the strength card. Ah, see, I think I would have resonated more with the uh, the seventeen with the with the star card probably. That's my uh, birthday is June seventeenth. It's definitely my jam. Um, uh, it's actually a huge synchronicity. Yeah, with my fiance who actually shares your birthday, September thirteenth. Synchronistic enough. She's all about seven one seven. This angel number that she saw when she got in a car wreck. And then we met. I'm on 17. So either way, we could superimpose the star card, which is all about this new Aquarian energy, right? The Aquarius card. Saturn and Jupiter have just entered Aquarius. Um, I was thinking, you've had the strength to overcome our technical difficulties, and here we are. Um, <laughs> but between, but whatever is clever, um, we'll just say you pulled the 17 card for the sake of the argument. Between strength, the star card, uh, and, and the angel. Just, Jim, go ahead. Uh, and to let everyone know, if you do numerological reductions, I mean, you have these middle numbers. And people just like to ignore them, but of course it's part of the picture. So Snor is perfectly correct. And this is, a, I mean, if you add one plus nine plus seven, it's seventeen, ain't it? So that, that's appropriate. 
Yeah, that's correct. I picked another 17 also because uh, I think, Jim, you were mentioning after um, 17, June 17th is also the, uh, the the day right after Bloomsday, June 16th. Um, and then there's some interpretations of Finnegan's Wake that uh, it happens on the night of June 16th, which would be in onto June 17th. Um, so we can think of it as that as well, that your birthday is happening in the wake I'm down with that, uh, and it I read totally that you were to be so right. And uh, in the book uh, that you just released, which is based off of a blog, which we'll get into, um, you were saying that potentially a theory was that it was the 17th morning, and that this is like a dream shared between two people, basically head to foot, essentially, kind of co-dreaming. Yeah, that's what happens at the end of uh, Ulysses. Is um, Leopold Bloom comes back to his house and back to his bed and his wife, and his wife is. She's already had an affair with uh, some other man during the day, but he ends up just curling into bed, sitting o- uh, sleeping opposite to her. So yeah, head to foot, sort of yin yang style. Um, yeah, so non-sexual sixty nine. <laughs> no, uh, completely sort of non-sexual. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, that's one one theory of what's going on in in the wake is that it's. Uh, it's a dual dream. It's a it's a dream between um, Leopold Bloom and Molly Bloom, um, which, in the wake, become HCE and uh, ALP, um, which could also be taken as the uh, the mountain and the river. Um, so that's that's one way of uh, one way of sort of determining what's going on in the wake is it's a sort of a dual dream or a multiple dream or um, yeah, it's the biggest question is who is who's actually dreaming within the book. Um, so one interpretation Joyce gave is that it's it's Finn McCool, this um, hero of Irish legend. And uh, according to the story of Finn McCool, when he was younger, before he started his his band of kind of hunting heroes across Ireland, um, he apprenticed with a with a kind of a wizard, like a, a bardic carrier, uh, character in Ireland, also called Finn. And uh, the older Finn had caught the Salmon of Wisdom, which um, if you ate the Salmon of Wisdom, the first person that to taste the flesh of the Salmon of Wisdom would gain all of the wisdom of, of the world um, into him. Um, so he'd basically become omniscient. Um, so what happened to uh, so Finn Finn caught the fish and he told Finn McCool um, to cook it up, but not to eat it. Um, so when Finn the younger was cooking it, he, he was roasting it over a fire, and a splat of the fish fat came and burnt him on the thumb, and he put his thumb into his mouth and touched his thumb onto his tooth and all the wisdom of the world and all knowledge of the world entered into him. So Joyce was saying the dream of Finnegan's Wake is the dream of Finn. And so it's the dream of somebody who's omniscient, who has knowledge of the past, present, and future. And so what's happening in Finnegan's Wake is that all of that's happening simultaneously. 
and it's written in a it's written in a sort of a dream language where when we have dreams um there are multiple images and the images are sort of um, morphing into each other and, and languages doing that. And so that's also what's going on in Finnegan's Wake. So you have like uh, all kinds of layers of history all happening all at once and being connected by. It's like a synesthetic experience. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's basically an experience. It's not really reading in the uh, in the same sense as you'd read a, a normal book. Um because you can read it in all kinds of different ways. If you if you have multiple puns and, and multilinguistic puns all sort of resonating off of each other at once, then there's so many there's so many connections. You can make so many different connections that you can make. So it's basically sort of mirroring the the neural process of your brain when you're when you're reading it. Um, and so that's what enables it to have all kinds of different layers of history happening simultaneously it's a fascinating text and i do want to get into finnegan's wake and your contribution on analyzing this because what you're talking about is described in the first few chapters of the book um death oh gosh i can't read this title but i've I've got it here uh death sweat of the cluster correct right it's a blog that you turned into a book um with help of syncbrook press and everybody i'm really stoked alan made this kind of his last attempt um, or whatever the you know the mythos goes, he's like, I won't do it anymore, but I'll do it for you. And you took him up on it, so good on you. But before we go down these kind of rabbit holes uh, into specifics, which obviously you can do very well, I'm kind of curious who the fuck you are. Uh, we, you know, you can speak as long-winded or as short-winded as you want. Um, uh, what little I know is that you're a Canadian, born on September 13th, so you're a Virgo. Uh, you find yourself presently in Japan. I'm kind of curious, like, what kind of culture did you grow up in? How did you find yourself in Japan? What are you doing there? When did you start turning into on to like PKD and McKenna and Joyce? Um, like how to, like how did you get to where you are now? As long you know, it doesn't have to be call me Ishmael level stuff, but <laughs> you can be as uh, verbose or as not you know as uh, not wordy as you'd prefer. The conch is yours though. Um. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. I've, I grew up in a small town. Um pretty sort of strict uh christian background um ended up sort of getting on the road right after i finished uh, university um started hitchhiking hitchhiked all over the place back and forth across the states and canada um a few times down into mexico central america up to alaska and finally ended up in uh in asia um uh, I was in uh, I was in Thailand and Laos. Um, met a Japanese woman in Laos when I was backpacking in the north of Laos, and that's how I ended up in Japan, I guess. Um, so then it's a matter of uh, um, having a livelihood in Japan. So I'm ending up uh, teaching at a university here. Um, and that's sort of the uh, the short story. <laughs> very abridged, very non-Joycey and all good. So I'm kind of curious, uh, and we don't have to go too long into this, but like hitchhiking, that's, I've done it in Switzerland. It's pretty normal in Europe. In North America, it's illegal. <laughs> I don't know about Canada, but how, like, was that sketchy in your opinion? Did you find that to be a very liberating and, you know, fulfilling experience? Clearly it got you around. Um, was it difficult? Uh, did you yeah. stick your thumb fucking literally out? I mean, I think the doors you know um song writers on the storm kind of made people 
not want to pick up Hitchhikers if I'm thinking of the right door song. But he's like, there's a killer on the road. <laughs> it's like, don't pick up this motherfucker. <laughs> With, um, yeah, I don't think it's illegal. It's uh, it's it's still fun if you're on uh, you're not right on the on the uh, the interstate or whatever. If you're using the ramps going onto the the highways, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, and I, I would just stick up my thumb and see what happened, you know. And usually the rides were amazing, um, especially in the U.S. Uh, it's it's amazing how generous people are in the U.S. Like uh, um, people take take you out of their way um as far as as far as they can go sometimes they'll they'll buy you meals or take you in or i even had one woman buy me a hotel room for the night um yeah take you into their house let you stay for for several days you know <laughs> it's uh it's an amazing experience hitchhiking um and i think it's it's still there you know it's uh well i don't yeah it's hard to say now about anything but um uh it's still possible and it's 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 like um it's the same as i always thought of it as is doing an eating reading or something um you're sticking out your thumb and waiting for this sort of you know, basically random experience but not really random and so it's sort of a tap into the dow and you never know who's going to pick you up and you never know what the uh connection's going to be and what the conversations are going to be. And there's obviously, there's always a reason why that person has picked you up. And usually there's something that they want to tell you or talk about. Um, and as a hitchhiker, you, you, there's sort of a skill involved of trying to figure out what that is as, as quickly as possible, you know, and then get onto that subject. So you're not just chit-chatting small talk um, for most of the it's ride. It's like a human Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you're like, how do I yeah. translate what you're about quickly so you don't feel threatened and I don't feel awkward? I'm sure there's some rides where you guys just start, stared off into the distance, you know, and didn't say much. But um, generally speaking, it sounds like you've had a really good experience hitchhiking. Uh, it depends on the chemistry involved. And I do very much appreciate kind of what you're saying in terms of, uh, you know, put your finger to the down and see how it breathes at you. Um was there did you try to make it like a magical thing like how intentional because it sounds like you're using magical kind of filters to look at it but like were you looking at it as a working in a sense or were you just like i need to ride yeah this is something i've noticed with traveling like that like that style of travel is that it's not um um it's not the same as uh, when you're living at a house and you're looking into books and you're intentionally doing a tarot reading or, or uh, looking in the I Ching or whatever. Like you, um, you sort of, when you're living at home, when you're sedentary, basically you're uh, you're taking that time and, and trying to create that sacred space. But when you're traveling like that, you know, um, like not tourism, but that sort of style of travel. Nomadic. The hermit card is not the tarot is. card, right? <laughs> well, you're <laughs> you're in, you're in the tarot uh, you're in the tarot deck all, all the time, you know. Um, and so it's not it's not like you're creating a magical space. You don't have to have that intention. You're you're always within that intention. Um, if you see what I mean. What kind of? I um, mean, I think you're from Toronto. What states were you going through? If you're going all, were you doing like Midwest, like Rocky Mountain stuff, East Coast down? Like, how are you getting around? Yeah, all of all of the above. I, I I went. I don't know. I think I've been to almost 
all the states, like at least through them, you know. Um, so so all around, like different roads across um, down into the south and uh, yeah, up the east coast, and a lot of the time in the on the west coast. Um, but uh, no, I think I think the U.S. is is amazing. It's an it's an amazing place. Like it's. Uh, the country that I compare it most to is is India, <laughs> you know, India. Just the uh, the crazy diversity of India, and uh, just kind of the the weird magic that can happen in India. It's the same same thing that happens in the U.S. Um, obviously, very different in a sense, but uh, um, the same kind of level of intensity and diversity and uh, challenges everything else, you know. I have not yet been to India. Rafael has. I don't know. And he's also been to San Francisco. So, Rafael, do you have any thoughts on his assessment just then? Well, I didn't try hitchhiking, neither in the U.S. nor in India. Uh, I just once hitchhiked in, well, Germany, Austria, let's say, or in Europe. I think only one time. I'm not exactly sure, but it was, you know, perfectly fine, perfectly possible. And definitely highly interesting what people you didn't actually get to meet. So, yeah, psychedelic experience for sure. Right. And I know that McKenna has been said to liken uh, the traveling experience very much to psychedelics. You're, you're dealing with different linguistic frameworks, different culture. Obviously, it's not our friend, but at some level, you're still basting in different soup, soups or whatever. Um, and ultimately, uh, it's about the most exoteric psychedelic experience you can have in a materially reductionistic way, other than maybe reading Finnegan's Wake, um, however one might do that. But it sounds like you've gotten around quite a bit, Znor. Um, I don't think you probably were birthed with the name Znor. What's the etymology there? Um, that was basically just randomly chosen. I had to uh, I had to come up with a name for, uh, for my blog, and so I just um, I flipped through the wake and found found Znor, and I thought that was a good one because it's the, uh, Znor is the name of the sleeper, you know, it's snoring or zzz, um, the zzz sound of sleeping. Um, so it's a, the sleeper becoming awake or um, awakening in the dream, you know, whatever whatever is going on in, in Finnegan's Wake. Um, so, yeah, that's just the name that, that kind of happened. Okay, so you already had a blog at this point, or maybe you were tr deciding a name to do the blog. Uh, one, what made you want to do a blog? Because I think blogging was right before really I got into the internet culture as such um, for me. I mean, I'm not 35, but I just wasn't hip on that front particularly. Um, and ultimately, I want to get – like when were you turning on to McKenna and McLuhan and obviously Joyce and stuff like that, PKD? Like was that – well before the blog or did that kind of feed like was Ouroboral like you started making a blog people told you to read this book check it out whatever how'd that process go down oh no yeah I was into that stuff ages ago yeah so so uh, the blog yeah the blog came well after um, the blog was uh, it was just it came about because I was writing about this stuff anyways and usually through email or messages or just in my own notebooks whatever um so it it just came to the point where uh, you're a good writer my, for the record i mean uh, people don't know like i that intro to your book uh i think is one of the most compelling things i've ever read 
Like it oh, made okay. me very excited to be magical, aware uh, in a poetic sense. Uh, because long story short, I had this nervous breakdown back in high school after having mushrooms and realizing, you know, everything's fractally infinite. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I spoke so blow kind of before YouTube and all this shit back in 2001 ish, 2002. Anyway, at some point my, friend's parents were like what do you want to be and i'm like a poet and it's like i don't read poetry i'm not a poet like that right (laughs) but at some level i think you tapped into the zeitgeist of what being kind of a um bohemian spirit is all about and a magical person and everyone's capable of doing it but that uh, intro to your book really nailed that shit on the head for me i read it to my brother and we got into an argument because he's very much he's a gemini but on the other side of the kind of duality of things in any event um before we get into the blog i'm curious okay so tell me about like how you turned like what's the matriculation and percolation process of the data that has coalesced into your worldview, your ontological perspective. I mean, McKenna, my ninja all the way, love his shit. Um, he's actually got a Virgo moon, so not surprising you're into him. Um, mm. Very, very cogent, um, kind of deep thinker. Be, any, stuff well beyond just like machine elves, which is fascinating. Um, but his take on McLuhan, his take on Finnegan's Wake, his take on, you know, Time Wave Zero, all this kind of stuff. Um, very, very interesting, intriguing character. Marshall McLuhan, I got turned on because of you guys, a, a sync book stuff. I and didn't, I haven't read it or you know scoped them out fully, but I'm like aware of the medium is the message, you know, technology is an extension, you know, of the evolutionary kind of paradigm that is. So glasses are your eyes, shoes are your feet on the flesh, flesh feet or whatever. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm rambling, but I'm kind of curious. Like, what came? Like, did you read the Ulysses and then hear McKenna? Like, how did your kind of uh, getting initiated uh into the you know postmodern gnostic situation happen mm, yeah I, I guess it was happened a long long time ago like it it's um uh i guess in, like in in high school or even before that i was into um just like started out probably with music from the 1960s and then looking more into the whole aspect of the the counterculture in the 1960s and then looking into um books because i was i was already always into books so just looking at into to books that that generation was into including Aldous Huxley and Herman Hesse and uh um yeah all, all kinds of different books um and then and then just following that train you know it's uh finally getting into people like Robert Anton Wilson and and then Terence McKenna and and then looking into what they're into and uh and finally seeing this this big picture of of uh it's kind of I, I don't know if we'd call it underground it's almost underground I guess this underground esoteric tradition of the west you know which is kind of hermetic or gnostic or neoplatonist in uh, in nature and yeah you can trace it you can trace that all the way back generation by generation back further 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 back to plato and then beyond plato to um ancient egypt or as, as far back as you can go with literature um so starting to look into that like more the sort of non-orthodox traditions of the west and then uh, also into Buddhism, and Buddhism's a, uh, a big part of my worldview, I'd say. Um, How does uh, Joyce fit into this? Because he seems to be kind of the, um, you know, the, uh, what's the word in, um, geez, I'm forgetting the word in Lord of the Rings, uh, 
the ball that you look into. Oh, I mean, the palantir. It, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's like your palantir. It's the, it seems to be the the lens through which you see quite a bit. And it, it, I mean, just by its own nature, which you've described, it seems very. I mean, high levels of, high levels of synchronicity it is kind of a modern I Ching. I don't know how intentional that is. We can discuss that. But when did you start turning on the Joyce and becoming aware of Finnegan's Wig as like, you know, a Leviathan to make a tent under, so to speak? Yeah, it's um, so I've been interested in Joyce for for a long time too. Uh, I I always meant to get into Finnegan's Wake, so Finnegan's Wake has has been um, there in the periphery for for years, probably decades, you know. But uh, um, I never actually got to it when I was living in in Bangkok. I, I remember this moment in Bangkok um, where I went to this. Uh, Use bookstore, use English bookstore, on uh, on Kausan Road, and I was looking for Finnegan's Wake there, and it wasn't there, so I didn't find it. And so, and I've been looking for it for a long time, and finally, um, I finally got down to it in uh, 2011, and it was the same. I was living in Japan, so it was the same year as the huge um, tsunami and uh, the the earthquake tsunami and nuclear meltdown here. Um, I was so in Hawaii for that. Uh, and we had mostly Japanese tourists, so because I, I was in Waikiki doing Starbucks stuff, so I was very aware of that situation. Just for the record, um, oh yeah, time. yeah, yeah, been, uh, yeah. Um, so, so, so that, you got a copy of it <laughs> at some point. What, what is? How did you even pr- approach it? I mean, it's pretty insoluble in some ways, it seems. Yeah, I, I knew what to expect. Like, um, like what I was saying, it was sort of, um, it was there for me for a long time before that, right? So I, I kind of had an idea what to expect. I was already looking into it, kind of in university, you know. So, um, but I just, I just prepped myself. So I read a bunch of Joyce before that, uh, Ulysses, and and other writings by Joyce before that, and uh, and then I read a bunch of stuff on Finnegan's Wake, and then I just plunged into it. Um, read it out loud, um, listened to recording of it and read it at the same time. I read it like multiple times, you know, like, um, and so then I, and it, it finally, I, it just seems like a, uh, it seems like a book that, uh, the book that I was meant to, to reach in a, in a certain way, like everything else that I had, uh, been looking into and studying before that sort of coalesce in that book it's sort of uh like i said before it it's uh it's unlike any other book in the in the sense that it it really explores the idea of simultaneity you know everything all at once um and there's no other book i don't think that captures that as much as finnegan's wake I think you said in uh, your own book that McLuhan had said that it's like LSD for like the plebeian or something, like, you know, a basic person. It's very hallucinogenic. Well, he, he, he said, uh, <laughs> what he said was uh, LSD is the lazy man's Finnegan's There way. you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. You know, it's like, uh, oh, you're just doing LSD. That's nothing. <laughs> right. It seems like a hyperdimensional sigil in a sense. Uh, it took 17 years, surprising, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, to make it. Uh, yeah. So another 17 resonator. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, I don't know if we can, uh, this would be like Drake now or someone, you know, someone, because he was like time cover of, 
a, a person like who was uh, Joyce was a big deal, right? In his culture, it's not like he was like a Van Gogh situation where he's like, I'm doing this in my basement. My mom, after I died, released it or whatever. It's like he was jamming all on, on all cylinders, kind of a um, you know Babe Ruth of literature or something like that. And the fact that he had this kind of as a working on the side, I found very compelling. So it's not like it was just like, I mean, it's not random, though it acts very much like a uh, oracle device. It seems like so randomness can weave through it, mm-hmm. kind of like hitchhiking. Um, but it seems very much like, in a weird sense, uh, you were getting into that 108-year cycles and stuff. It seems like an end of an age trying to surmise itself through its technology of that age and all the illusions of the cultures around. Uh, and yeah, before. definitely. Definitely, yeah. Um, I know we're kind of probably talking Greek to people. I haven't even read it, so I can't even speak, you know, perfectly highly on it. But it's the kind of thing where um, I believe Philip K. Dick finds his name in it. That lady you were talking about when it got released in China is like, oh, I've always been drawn to this, and bada bing, I found my name in it. Yeah. Uh, in, in a, in a not like exactly like you know, uh, sync. Um, you know, it it arised. It, it's over the page or whatever, you know, it's not just like, you know, Jim Kincaid in one sentence, I can maybe find some version of this. Um, when did you start thinking that this might be something more? Cause it's w- the way you sounded, it's like um, almost like an anthropologist would be for DMT where it's like, okay, I'm going to listen to all the McKenna lectures and I'm going to listen to shamans and people strip reports and then I'll do it. Uh, which is kind of phenomenologically different than reading about it. So when did it kind of translate from some kind of like super hipster highbrow thing that you started realizing there's magic to it that was good like good magic for you personally mm. um well i i kind of knew it would be there you know like i i knew it would be there um before but as soon as i started reading it like immediately you know um it sounds like those tendrils from the transcendental object of time were reaching into the past to make you aware of the fact that you needed to be a part of this i mean you said you thought you would want to read this before so it was like you know almost uh echo premonition precog uh thing or whatever um so well, it seems like it's in your card so to speak yeah definitely like so even the idea um turns mckenna's time wave zero right like he um it taps into the i don't know if you're familiar with the 10 thunders in finnegan's wake um the 10 thunder words um intermittently in finnegan's wake there's um these hundred letter words right which are they're, they're called the thunders and they're just like massive crazy nonsense words but but it's almost like an nonsense. onomatopoeia for thunder right yeah 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 it starts like that and then um yeah especially the first one is like that and then in in all sorts of different languages and then as it progresses there's all sorts of things are woven into these words um and McLuhan thought that they map out a sort of history of technology, a history of media technology. Um, but uh, McKenna tapped into that, and he said that's his time wave is a thunder. When it goes, when it zeroes out, time wave zero zeroes out. That is the the blast of thunder. So I don't know if. Um, you know the history of his time wave, where he's thinking uh, he's looking for a pattern. Like a history of, no- of novelty. Yeah, so he's looking for a pattern of novelty in history, and so he wants to find these sort of spikes of ingressions of novelty, and he zeroes in on the uh, 
the dropping of the bombs in Japan in Hiroshima and Nagasaki because that's obviously that's a huge blast of novelty. Um, so for McKenna, that's that's also a blast of thunder, you know. Um, and that's interesting because uh, Robert Anton Wilson reading Finnegan's Wake, and he was he was obsessed with Finnegan's Wake as well. He read it every day for years and years, you know. Um, he's he thinks he's convinced that uh, Joyce prophesized in Finnegan's Wake um, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like you could find it in Finnegan's Wake. Um, so it's just interesting. All this, all these guys sort of um, coalesce in that point. Um, so with McKenna, that is the thunder. You know, that is the thunder. And so he's able to. Uh, he's able to place his time wave starting starting with that date he can he can sort of trace it and then eventually uh he sinks it he sinks it with the end of the Mayan calendar on uh december twenty first two thousand twelve well in your book it was saying he kind of fudged it towards that because i guess nostradamus mayan calendar twenty first solstice cool but his own birthday he had thought was it it was saying yeah, he's yeah, a scorpio he, so the fact that death and the atom bombs are like the big deal for him doesn't strike me as terribly incoincidental um transformation right like talk about transformation shifting and atom over just a little bit big alchemy there but um what uh, um and it also seems like people look into the text and read out of it what they need or something so marshall McLuhan, all about media um and you know evolution of media and human cognition and stuff like that at a level um he sees that in the text uh it seems that you know the thunder of nagasaki he uh, mckenna sees that um uh what do you think how, how let me put it this way how conscious do you think joyce was of this or was he just creating the conditions kind of like uh you know a 256 or whatever you know color palette and it's like anything can kind of mash up in here and because of the nature of that um you know hexagrammal nature of it or something like people draw out from it um I guess, Mike, how intentional do you think? I, I, do you think he, Joyce is actually a prophet seeing visions of these things? Or is he creating the conditions where people can pull out after the fact and see it like that? Or, I mean, I'm not even trying to bifurcate. Maybe it's both simultaneously. I'm not sure. But what's yeah, your yeah, it's on that? Kinda, no, that's a, that's a huge question. And, um, yeah, he's in a way, he's doing both, right? So, so again, he's got two main characters, if you want to call them characters, of HCE, who's the basically the, the husband um, and father, and then ALP, who's the wife and mother. Um, so like yin and yang energy, essentially. Yeah, and, and they sort of represent two layers of the wake. HCE, we, you can think of as, as the creator god, right? Um, and also the author, like Joyce was, right? And so um, so HCE is is an architect. He creates he's he creates cities. He's a politician. He's a, a businessman uh, and a family man and everything else, right? But uh, he's also he's also God. You know, he's also the top archon, right? And so he's creating the universe. And he in in a way he's also Joyce. And the universe is Finnegan's Wake. So Joyce is the author of Finnegan's Wake, and he's like you said, it, it took him 17 years to do it. Um, and he's he's obsessed with it. He he uh, 
obviously he's not just randomly writing, which some people say he is, like just random nonsense. It's not. It's it's very intentional and intricate and researched everything else. But and even open also, to chance, you were deciding well, that is, somebody said something random. <laughs> this is the second part, right? So this is the this is the ALP part, right? And so ALP is the material by which the Creator God creates the universe. And this is the this is the whole problem. This is also the original sin: is that the um, and you find this in Gnosticism, and and PKD was into this uh, idea, is that the creator of this world creates, but he forgets the fact that he's using um, a universal substance that's always been there and always will be there, and that is ALP. And so she's sort of bubbling under the surface all the time, this kind of playful, riverine energy that's happening all the time and bubbling up to the surface. And so when Joyce, in the process of writing it, he's letting that happen. So he's he's making so many connections, um, like I said, through puns and wordplay and all these uh, weaving together different myth and history and language, everything else. Um, he's making so many connections that um, it can't, help not to happen you know like it's the same same when you make um when you have two people in a conversation together it's sort of maybe predictable if you add another person into a conversation it becomes less so if you add a huge amount of people like a party then it becomes completely unpredictable and so joyce is doing he's intentionally setting up unpredictability so that that different effects can happen magic can take place um and in doing so, he's honoring the goddess, basically, um, which gets forgotten in um, in uh, the whole the whole sort of Abrahamic tradition of of religions, right? Where it's all, it's always the creator god, but they forget the fact that there, hey, there's something behind and beyond that. Um, I'd go so, even a step further. Pharaonic, even potentially, it's been an issue for maybe a few thousand years, where you know, um, the Shekinah is kind of not uh, talked about as well as like you're saying the creator kind of Yahweh thing um, or Pharaoh as opposed to Newt or whatever. So it's like mm-hmm. um, it's, it's tricky because it's, I, I think uh, David Charles plates tapped into it really well with his whole dark crystal kind of thing. But like hemispherics is kind of what we're talking about yin and yang stuff's where it's like, we're all in the imagination, which I think your intro really helped. You know, it's like all science, all, you know, <laughs> positions of, thought anything anything that can be imagined is in an imaginal thing already so it's like we're in this substrate of dream which is kind of like feminine and then we start trying to fashion things and identify and whatever and we forget uh, we take credit in a very weird way or even in this analogy um hce i believe you were saying uh takes credit in a kind of yaldabaoth way <laughs> um and says i created this awesome matrix or, or like the matrix film like the architect's like i made this impeccable thing i'm so awesome right, it's like right, you right, only right. could do that because of creative creative you know this the playground was available to you you went into a sandbox and played specific with the sandbox good for you but you're on the playground which is you know in the arm of gaia or whatever you want to call it is um and i think something that i read in the first few chapters of your book uh struck me as important we've had rupert Sheldrick on the podcast uh but rupert um Abrahamson, Ralph Abrahamson, who's a mathematician, chaos mathematician, and um, Terence McKenna himself, 
were doing things called trilogues. I've never, I don't know if you've ever seen those. They're fascinating. It's like no, a no, podcast. I've read them. Yeah, I, I was, I was totally into them. Oh, that's just my jam. I mean, at one point I was like, I mean, it's like the eighties, I guess, but it's like before long form. I mean, Joe Rogan doesn't have shit on this. Let's put it that way. It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. real shit, like, you know, real minds jamming hard and the alchemy you're talking about, because you have basically an, um, an atheist, essentially chaos magician, um, a mathematician rather 40 and slip, um, who does fractal math, um, from out in Berkeley or whatever, who's Jewish by background. You have Rupert Sheldrake, who's kind of Christian, but, trying to be scientific and coming up with morphogenetic fields and things like that. Very kind of stayed. And then you have the bard kind of the situation, um, McKenna, uh, you know, basically making fun and trickster poetry, psychedelia out of it all. They're all kind of intermingling. You get what I mean, you've heard it, you get it. But, uh, what, um, McKenna had said in your book, or I heard it somewhere, I'm not sure where it exactly now, where it's like the, what you need to decode this wake is fractal understanding. Like mm. it's almost like there's punctuation events in uh, very much like in 2001 a space odyssey where it's like there's events in cognition that shift things. So it's like the animal of the Edenic plane or whatever touches the obelisk or the monolith or whatever. And all of a sudden, whoop, you now you've got different kind of um, prefrontal cortex. You fall into the story, whoever, you know, however you want to dissect this. Eventually, if you become technologically savvy enough on this trajectory, the apes that touch the monolith, you will beget um, people who can quote, go to the moon and you'll find another monolith and you'll touch it and they'll shoot you to Jupiter. You know, it's like this kind of successive, um, almost artifacts of the transcendental object or something like that placed throughout time. Uh, it seems that similarly, like maybe like Da Vinci would be someone who's like, Oh, now we have perspective. Yay. The Renaissance or whatever, right. This massive shift in consciousness. It seems Joyce was kind of at the end of an era where he was trying to pre pre, um, or maybe right around the time of like, um, quantum mechanics coming out right and mm -hmm. uh, new ways of thinking in terms of psychology young freud uh new ways of understanding matter new ways of understanding time itself fractal math and chaos math and stuff like that's more like the 60s but the seeds of it were sown it seems in like this kind of period um and like i was saying mckenna was like this is kind of shoving us into fractal thinking you know holographic non-localism and it's all you know it, it, correspondences abound if you have eyes to see kind of thing um mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that kind of approach yeah definitely so so uh like joyce joyce isn't um an, an island either right like he's 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 involved in this movement called modernism which uh involves people in literature and the arts and yeah people would say in science as well you know it, it was it was a definite kind of um an awakening of perception in the early 20th century, you know? Um, and I think the, uh, I think the the new thing that comes into play is this idea of simultaneity, right? Um, and then following that is, is maybe this idea of uh, synesthesia, you know, which um, McLuhan picks up on, um, but both are related, right? So you have the senses coming together, blending together, um, kaleidoscopically and then and then this this idea that like you're talking about is this kind of uh, um, looking at things as a as a as a holograph or or fractally where you have um, it well it's you of course you find it earlier like in in hermeticism right like it, um, this this idea of as above so below you know um, but but those were like initiates. That, I don't think en masse it was a it was not yes, a uh, yeah, gene that's, who that's, 
been kicked in or something like that. That's the thing. Like um, in the 20th century, you you get to a stage of of media media production or whatever where it um, it becomes it becomes a mass thing. Yeah. Um, so there's an interesting point about fitting his wig. Like people and and the modernists in general, like people still think of it as kind of highbrow literature or whatever. But there's a sense that um, it's only now that we can really start that, that that the masses can really start to understand Finnegan's Wake, and and the reason that we can do that um, is because um, the internet is there. The internet already uh, allows us to have this sort of idea of network holographic thinking. Like we're all we're all so so used to it now. The internet is everywhere all at once. You know, in your hand. Um, so the uh, the idea of the holograph is it's it's not an abstract idea anymore it's it's just there we're we're immersed in it all the time um and so that's what finnegan's wake maps out first you know um in text form i i it's pre-internet internet essentially yeah i actually think it and that's what McLuhan called it uh essentially i actually think it goes a step beyond the internet because it's the internet as as aware of itself you know so um like if you you remember what uh, McKenna said is is one way to sort of define what would happen in this sort of singularity or concrescence point is that the AI happens you know the AI or the sing uh, the AI or the the network becomes aware of itself you know um, so in a sense that's that's already happened within Finnegan's Wake it's 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 the uh, it's it's a print based internet that's aware of itself that's already an AI. Um, which is fabulous and it seems there's like like i was saying levels it's not that this hasn't existed before but only shamans you know initiates kind of got it people who were willing to go into the jedi cave and do shit that most monkeys wouldn't do most people just like i want to eat fuck and like not struggle um feudalism whatever right like the structures were just not there not to say they weren't magical i don't want to write off people's mundane lives or whatever um but there's people who start realizing their um, almost David Lynchian pro, uh, directorial position as an observer in a in a DAO or whatever. And you start yeah. understanding engineering kind of in a in a terse term, but like a magical engineering of reality. And it seems there's like um, Easter eggs almost through history where that happens. Like I'm saying, Da Vinci giving us perspective, Joyce with Finnegan's Wake, um, and this gets into the novelty time wave thing. Um, it seems it's like the time is having constantly or whatever. So it's like wow, the wheel. Long time passes. Wow. Uh, pyramids or you know i'm not I'm not giving a good history here but you see my point like the the novelty is increasing increasing that's whole mckenna's whole point is like at some point he thought december 21st 2012 um would be this moment where we're and it does feel like we shifted gears essentially uh into um i think he calls it the tightening of the uh gear <laughs> right essentially where yeah, yeah, we're yeah, exactly. So we're like in some like it feels like there's an attract there. I feel the attractor now. I, I maybe it was always happening, but like in like flashes, whereas now it's like we're moths to a light or whatever. And it feels like we're being sucked into something that's beyond normal history um, on multiple levels. Well, but I'm kind of rambling. Go for it. That's the thing. Like, um, I think people were sort of primed to think that the end of 2012, there'd be this massive change in consciousness all at once right it's like a mass um, dmt trip or something yeah but uh 
if you read if you read for example uh crowley's book moonchild and crowley talks about a hyperdimensional object um contacting our reality and he it's not really his metaphor he takes it from an earlier author but uh this idea that uh um if we think of a three-dimensional object entering into two-dimensional space and an example of that is like uh like the the surface of of water you know of a pail of water or the surface of a bowl of soup or whatever if you can imagine two-dimensional objects two-dimensional beings on that surface and then you put a three-dimensional object into that surface like sort of like a spoon into a bowl of soup or i i think um crowley's talking about a cone into a pail of water or something so if a, if a cone is coming through it's only the tip of the cone that hits the surface of the water and so um at that first time hardly anyone's going to notice it you know it's just that one single point that um that hits and it doesn't really affect much but as the cone sort of widens out as it's going through the surface of water more and more people are going to be able to notice it and finally it's going to be a big deal you know and finally maybe enough people are going to realize it that uh that it sort of flips their their perception and consciousness so so it seems like that's sort of more what's happened in 2012 you know um it's just the tip the very tip that that entered into the hyperdimensional hyper object entered at that point and it's only sort of radiating out now you know um i believe it i mean uh, 2013 is right when i started waking up listening to sync book stuff eating acid once a week that kind of shit and just kind of getting i mean i'm not into crowley but becoming aware of that not i haven't read the red book or all of young getting into young alan watts mckenna you know all this stuff it hit me and it feels like um I don't even know how to explain it. It feels like uh, like how Bill Hicks would say, let's all ex- you know, do mushrooms and explore inner and outer space. It feels like something of the inner dimensions, like the tip of the cone touched it uh, around 2012. Like um, November 11-11 um, was when I did DMT right after Hawaii, and I had a kundalini activation through Egyptian deities. It was nuts. It was something that I still can't quite process. I'll have to tell you that story sometime. Um, but I'm like, is this Jungian? Is this my anima and animus? Like, is this like Horus and, you know, Sophia? Like, what is this? Like, um, or not Horus, uh, Nubis, because it was, it was just ratchet. But the point is, uh, that was right before 2012. It seems like we entered into a new domain of what it means to be human potentially. Um, just like, um, McKenna stoned ape was like, you know, at one point it was just, you know, animals on the planes eating from the dung of large ungulates or whatever and then at some point certain things started separating them differently just like the monolith I and mean, it seems like there's monolith trajectories and i do really do believe that uh whether it's the 21st exactly doesn't really fucking matter but it's like that kind of moment that little pocket um that's it feels even fundamentally differently than 2001 which i think of as an occult ritual just because of the sync book people right i mean it's not to me like about power weapons from whatever or you know smash and grab gold heists of the um cheney people you know it's not i mean it is those things potentially but to me it's like oh this is like a thalemic possibly uh collapsing of the hemispherics into the one world a one perception or something hence the whole you know david plate kind of thinking on that stuff um 
we're kind of talking about occultism in a sense of ritual. You've mentioned Crawley and the Moonchild, which is kind of a heavy thing. If people haven't ever heard of this, check it out. Um, this gets into Rosemary's Baby and potentially NASA <laughs> and weird shit. Um, but wh- were the modernists in your uh, in- impression becoming aware of like magical power and saying that they wanted to take over the scripting in a sense of reality and that they planted enough seeds that would beget certain kind of uh, realities that we end up with a 9-11, that we end up with an internet that we, you know, like how do you look at uh, that? Cause it seems like there was a period, even like Disney, Walt Disney uh, was a Rosicrucian. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of people are like, yo, we're engineering reality. We're Imagineers as Disney would put it. Uh, let's do this for real. And like with intention and not everybody's going to get it. Some people just want to be like, you know, Molly the Riveter, we can do it, nine to five jobs, whatever, that's cool. But then some people are like, yo, let's have crazy drug-induced orgies or whatever's going on. I'm not even sure. But um, what are your thoughts in terms of, like, the occult, you know, subcultures and initiatory groups like the Golden Dawn, um, stuff like that? Yeah. um, So, yeah, the big thing to keep in mind is that, uh, like, the whole sort of progression of of uh, philosophy and thought in the West at the time, um, it, well, yeah, of course it's a huge story, but uh, um, they're sort of dealing with the consequences of the of of what gets called the death of God, right? Which means, and and this comes up in the in the thought of Nietzsche, um, yeah, uh, Nietzsche sort of puts it the best. Um, so what what happens is that uh, the death of God really refers to the death of the whole um, Judeo-Christian tradition in the West. Not that that doesn't mean that Christianity go, goes away or anything. It just means that uh, the most it wasn't intellectual the of, yeah. it, it, it just means that the most intellectual people in in that culture at the time couldn't take it literally anymore. Whereas they did before, you know, they, they, uh, um, even, even in the scientific period, you have, uh, scientists trying to, um, put together the, the, what they found in science with what they found in the Bible. You know, there is still that attempt to do, do that, whether or not they really believed it at that point or not is, is another story, but, but they had, they had, they had, not everybody. They had to at least try to do that, you know, um, because because the culture at that time was uh, was still basically orthodox. But that all broke down, and so and then it broke down even further after World War One, when you had a huge like a whole generation of of people actually um, killed because of the war or, or wounded or wounded spiritually or whatever, and uh, and then the breakdown of the old empires and uh, breakdown of old systems of, of economy and everything else. And so uh, then a wasteland. Of, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, uh, that's when the wasteland came out, uh, 22, right? Um, um, so, so then it's, then it's a matter of like, what do we do here? Where's our foundation? Um, how can we, uh, how can we find meaning in life? Is it, if, is it just completely meaningless, you know, or, or is there, is there meaning still to be found? And so the, then there's this massive kind of search for meaning. And, uh, so a lot of the modernists, like even the generation before that, uh, Yeats, um, and, 
other people in Ireland and uh, around the world were looking into parallel traditions, like these sort of, um, like I said before, these sort of underground Western traditions and, and trying to find meaning there and really engaged in a, uh, in a project to resurrect the old gods. Um, like Yeats is pretty explicit about that. Um, in his letters and even in his in his writing, that he wanted to um, resurrect the old gods of Ireland, you know, and and that was going on in in different countries uh, across across Europe and across the world, like even here in Japan. Um, so this this search for the search for new meaning, um, and so a lot of these modernist projects were were huge, like this um, in in the book. I use the uh, the metaphor of Humpty Dumpty, right? Like Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall, tradition dies, and then it's a point, and then it's we're trying to put the pieces back together again, and that's the whole sort of modernist project. And the step beyond that is the sort of postmodernist project where you don't even try to put it back together; you just play with the pieces. And then maybe a new movement that's happening now, where the pieces sort of assemble themselves into their own patterns, is sort of um, idea of fractal self-organization or something um but uh yeah with the golden dawn um yates was a member crowley was a member um all all kinds of these these early uh writers especially english writers were all members of the golden dawn so a lot of our popular culture comes directly out of that um so there is an intention involved for sure um whether or not it's a sinister intention is a is a different if it, it's a different matter, you know. Like um, some people think it is, but uh, I I think it's always it's always ambiguous, you know. Um, well, it seems people, like we're in a working. I mean, it seems like we're necessarily in a working. We don't know it uh, for a long time. And people like yourself, Plate, um, most book people are kind of tuning into levels of it. And it's nice to hear people cross pollinating. So you know, you'll have certain people f- geeking out about uh, Parsons and NASA occult rituals and then other people not you know being aware of that cross-pollinating. Um, but it seems like we're nece- – I mean it's kind of like uh, – I mean I, I haven't read PKD, but he's always talking about the empire never ended. It seems like there's the machine and then at some level people inside the machine built a machine to subvert the other machine eventually and become the new machine. <laughs> Or something like that, and it, like so, you start getting Disney's and you know NASA's, and uh, even in American politics, like I mean, much earlier. But you know, the Freemasons had a big deal in terms of you know George Washington being initiated in, as president in full Freemasonic gear. That's not even like hidden particularly. So, no. If, and then we tend to just think of ourselves because of de- democratic uh, romanticism or something. It's like I am, and you know, post. Uh, you know, Nietzsche and stuff where it's like, I'm the creator of my, I'm, you know, <laughs> it's all about me and I'm making shit happen. We don't realize that we're already in a crockpot of culture that's maybe been e- even had certain elements added that have longer releases or something like that. I'm not really explaining myself very well, but um, like you were saying in the book, the parallels even of like nuclear armament and um, bombs dropping and stuff like that with LSD synthesizing, mm-hmm. right? You have yin and yang kind of stuff. I actually met Albert Hoffman's grandson in Switzerland when I was there. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in Switzerland, and he wasn't hip. Like he'd never tried it, but it was like it's just bizarre, where it's like you start seeing the. I I don't know how intentional it is. It's almost like the wake, where it's like it is what it is, and then life seems to bleed through in this weird fractal way. 
um, yeah, that exactly. always has balance. So it's almost like, I guess, you know, there's the man and the woman in the dream and who's beginning who and whatever. It seems like there's even a pendulum shift now towards more willingness um, for men to hold space for women and minorities and things like that. It seems we're feminizing in a way instead of just running around. I mean, not everybody, but like it seems like nationalism is kind of changing. Uh, corporation corporate thought is changing. Maybe I'm optimistic, <laughs> um, but even you talk a lot about um, Leclerc in your book. I've read, a, I yeah. heard him a bunch and always records. Uh, I've never talked to him, but he tended to, I think he was raised Christian. If I'm not mistaken, you were raised Christian. You've gone a very different route and color. I was raised Christian and had like Gnostic experiences straight up on DMT and sober, like astral projections going to talk to Jesus about like my faith and shit while listening to Alan Parsons project cds weird shit right mm. um not quite like serious pink beam shit which might be cia tech at the time which i had never even heard or thought of which is kind of fascinating but um i'm kind of right leclerc was uh he seemed he got stuck in a nihilistic kind of loop or something and you've managed to not kind of get stuck in that though you're ambivalent enough where you're like it could be that like you're realistic um but it seems you've maintained your hope how do you do that yeah, well, so the idea that comes out, especially um, for me, it comes out the clearest in Buddhism, right? Um, is this idea that if we're going to get beyond all duality, um, and even in Buddhism, it's not really expressed like that. It's, it's, it, I, I'm talking especially uh, Mahayana Buddhism. It's expressed more in terms of emptiness, right? And emptiness means empty of non-being. Um, oh, sorry, emptiness of own being, um, meaning that uh, we're not separate. None of us are separate. No objects are separate. Nothing is separate. It's all just this flowing, this flowing thing Unity. that we can't really get a we can't really get a bead on, right? And so, um, if we're going to accept it as that, that's uh, sort of the, the 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 crucial realization of of Buddhism. Then we can't make a distinction either between nirvana, which is awakening or enlightenment, and samsara, which is this endless cycle of birth and death, right? So if we look at um, like previous um, previous ways of thinking in, in Indian philosophy, like in Hindu philosophy, or even maybe Theravada Buddhism or whatever, it's the whole point is to try to get out of this, um, get out of samsara, this... This, escape the matrix <laughs> escape the matrix right but the the crucial thought is that um samsara is nirvana you know nirvana nirvana is samsara you know and so the way to escape the matrix is just to realize that um there is no escape there is in but there is no matrix either you know it's like uh or or you expand the idea of the matrix like the, the matrix is actually a positive a positive term it just means it's the goddess right it's the uh um another way to express it is maya you know um so in buddhism maya is illusion but it's also this material realm which is um not material <laughs> it's just this flowing emptiness and that's identical with with uh, nirvana and so it's just a matter of um uh it's not a I always put it in terms of it's not, it's not a yeah it's not an ontological distinction between uh, like it's not a two worlds distinction right it's not it's not saying there's heaven and then there's earth and these two are totally separate 
it's an it's an epistemological distinction where it's like you um there are two ways of thinking about that in 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 uh, mahayana buddhism it talks about two truths right and so the sort of mundane truth is to real is to think that there is sort of this dualistic split um and then in uh, the other truth is to realize mm, it's all empty anyway so it's it's a matter of just realizing it you know um so I think for me, like you were talking about uh, tripping, um, that really sort of struck home with me. At one point, I was getting, I was getting really, um, really paranoid and hung up with conspiracy. This happened quite a, like back in 2008, I guess it was, or 2007. Um, yeah, 2006, seven, uh, like this period. And uh, I hadn't, I hadn't tripped in a long time. And uh, a friend of mine was. Um, he was growing mushrooms so i finally got to eat mushrooms again and i went into the woods here in japan and uh and then it just hit me like almost immediately when it came on is that con conspiracy in that sense where everything is controlled and there's just one working as you said that that controls all of history it's just it's just impossible like in in inside of a trip you just realize that there's multiple layers of nature happening all together all at once you know um like anyone who trips I'm, I'm sure you've had that experience as well you just it, it's like this is uncontrollable you know how could, how could anyone control this um so that well, was no one of our mind or not a human like that like as mckenna goes on that trip all the time it's like it's not the jews it's not the grays it's not that whatever it's like all these elements of the void are experiencing uh, I guess being and participation within a dream, but it almost feels like um, imagination has inverted on itself. Like it's all thing, a dream. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, this is the thing in in Tibetan Buddhism. It's like yeah, it's not those things. It's not, but it's not the gods either. It's not the archons because they're swept up in it too. They're all part of nature or samsara as well. They're they're empty as as much as we are. You know. Um, so there's no sort of Archimedean point outside of it all where somebody is able to, uh, like that, the sort of Blake picture of a guy with a, uh, God with a, Triangle. Uh, a compass, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, there's no sort of th that and Blake realizes that too. Like he's, he, um, people think that's his idea of things, but it's not, he's saying he's sort of criticizing that idea because, um, if you look at that picture, especially, there's all this sort of chaos going on and beauty going on around the God that uh, the God is Urizen and he's not even noticing. And Blake does another uh, painting with Newton doing the same thing and uh, sort of Newton's blindness of 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 chaos or or uh, ALP or whatever we want to call it happening outside of him. Um, so that's. For me, that was a really positive experience, realizing that it can never be fully controlled, you know. Um, there is no spoon kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's funny because it seems like, um, I don't know, I mean, this is why, you know, Alan Watts is like, we take very seriously what the gods made for fun. Like, and I'm interested in Raphael's perspective. He's been kind of quiet, but uh, I'm sure he's lapping all this up. Very interesting. He's a Libra. He's happy. Um, but... The idea that, like, especially with Black Iron Prison um, of Philip K. Dick, where it's like, because I've talked about this with Raphael before, where it's like paranoid kind of 
dualistic thinking uh, and even Buddhist to a point where it's like escape this, right? Like this is not it. Get out of this. It seems that's that's a polarity. That's like the the wave of the situation. And then the particle would be like almost like Krishna Hinduism where it's like just enjoy the song. Be here now. Mm. You know, don't seek beyond that. You know what I mean? Like it, it's almost like, yeah, you're in prison, but just like make the wallpaper your favorite color and do pushups and make the best of it. Or like, I, and I'm not trying to get to a bottom line because I don't know if there is uh, in some weird way. I don't know if you've ever seen the film La Congress. It's really trippy, but it feels mm-hmm. kind of like that. Oh, you'd like it. Uh, it feels like basically there's like this. I, I don't even want to describe it. It's kind of live action melding with anime. Raphael's seen it. Um, oh, ultimately, it's very Buddhist and very surreal. I'll send you a link or something. But um, it's almost like a psychedelic apocalypse in a way. I think it even has to do with drugs and like people taking on their projections of their inner like desires. So no one knows whose identity is who. It's just this surreal thing. It very much reeks of like McKenna, what he might have thought 2012 would have been, basically. But um, I'm kind of curious. I mean, are we just like asking the wrong questions? Like, I, it feels like intelligence uh, is changing. And I'm curious about Raphael's position on this, too, where it's like, this isn't, you know, the stories we tell ourselves are the stories we live in. And now we're starting to change the story. Uh, so the nature of the reality that we're living in, the dream that we're dreaming is changing. So how do we participate with polarity and non-dualism simultaneously? It seems like that's kind of the crux of where we're like, okay, polarity exists, masculine, feminine, hermeticism, all this shit, like, right? Like, you know, upspin, downspin, whatever. Um, And spectrum within, you know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the polarity exists. But beyond that, there's a unity. And then I guess that's the trinity, um, being able to hold all three in tension and dynamos like that. Um, but I'm kind of curious about what y'all's perspective on human evolution is now. It seems we're kind of in a McKenna Stone Ape theory moment for our species. Technology, psychedelics, um, the end of – with globalization and the internet, it's kind of been the death of God in a certain way more actualized, if that makes any sense. Like relativism is understood to be normal. I guess the kind of the postmodern wet dream or something like is the internet where it's like anything is anything you want it to be. Um, but we're still working with terms like – you know, zero one, like it's, we're still in binary at some level. So whatever you guys want to talk about, uh, whatever I just rambled about, if anything, you can siphon through it and ad- address what I've kind of gushed at you. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I'll let Raphael go on if he, if he wants. I believe we've spoken about this uh, plenty. So what are you looking for exactly, Jim? <laughs> I don't know. It's not like an aha answer. It seems like consciousness is uh, becoming self-aware. I mean, that's what it seems like the dream is becoming self-aware. That's the best way I can put it. And then it's not that it didn't happen before, but it happened in like, you know, Isaiah and the temple having a, you know, a hot coal from an angel put on his mouth, whatever that story is. Right. Or Buddha under a tree coming to an apotheosis of some kind or uh, the first fucking LSD trip on a bike. Like it's happened before in time. Uh, and Da Vinci's and people like this, right? But basically, it hasn't been an en masse initiation. It's been moving towards this. It feels like there's certain thresholds have been crossed. Um, polarity exists. I mean, I'm just kind of rambling, and I want you guys to ramble with me, I guess. But um, polarity exists. Well, I mean, but we're kind of transcending what is, it. <clears throat> in terms of what is happening, all this transformation, polarity, trinity, call it ascension, call it fourth density, call it just individuals finally becoming aware that they're actually immortal or whatever embedded and connected and all of that all of these things are simply as far as i can see just what has been prophesized in a sense long time ago and also recently um 
and at least to me it seems what that's happened it seems that is what is happening and then the ultimate answer again which may in a sense seem like a maybe postmodernist cop out but seems to be the metaphysical principles again your beliefs create your reality therefore that is the parallel reality so called future you will find yourself in each and every one what comes to mind for me right now is like the truman show so that's kind of the black iron prison writ large if you want to put it that way minus matrix languaging um where it's like yo you're in a controlled environment there's things archons whatever directors actors who cares participants with you and you're struggling through it trying to find yourself having real memories having real heartbreak having real golfing with your buddy and drinking beer whatever like you know you're participating with the script and then you choose or i guess you become aware of even in that, the, it's funny because like the cam that hits him says serious, right? That's kind of like the serious pink beam for PKD uh, or Robert Antrim Wilson. Maybe I'm conflating the two at this point because um, I haven't read either of their shit. But the point is having the serious epiphany, right? The serious connection. Um, and then you start having, it seems what a lot of sync heads go through. I, I've kind of described it as like waiting through insanity. Like you start having disillusion, just like a psychedelic trip. You start having a disassociation, disillusion of boundaries, um, identity issues identity permanence issues um or whatever um and we wade through and hopefully you reach the other shore quoting buddha in a weird way of of wading through this insanity and you can kind of see the sinks it doesn't even matter if they're benign or not i think some people get hung up on that um paranoia versus paranoia is even kind of just spinning the atom in a certain way um but it feels like we're kind of all in mass doing the truman show thing it's like, you know, maybe 2012 was, this, you know, walking out the uh, set like Jim Carrey's character does, but he enters another world, which is wheels within wheels. Oh, my gosh. There's other, you know, governments and real characters and stories being told on another scale. It's not like you ever leave the Maya in that sense. So I guess I'm trying to just get an idea of um, how you maintain hope, either of you. Like, I mean, I've been Christian most of my life, so that helps. Um, but I think we're starting to, uh, even that's not, it's not that it's losing its flavor. It's just like, it means something different now. Instead of worrying about a, a devil, like I've made peace with the devil or whatever, Lucifer on LSD once. I was like, I don't know your role or function, but it seems you have a functional like necessity in the equation. So I forgive you for that <laughs> or whatever. I was like, I accept it, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. It's like, let's just move on. Um, it seems like a lot of people are confronting, we've been going through a, a collective dark night of the soul for you know maybe the past 10 20 years maybe 9 11 was the uh, initial rite of passage right and this gets into moonchild bush stuff really quickly but um i'm rambling i i, I there's no like one thing you have to say i'm just kind of curious how you guys are waiting in the dream while knowing um like how how not to become fatalistic and nihilistic when you're like it's all meaningless like ecclesiastes i i, I had a very ecclesiastical epiphany kind of um, in Switzerland where I was like, oh shit, my entire epistemological framework is founded upon things that are not certain. Like what is certain, I guess being, but even that uh, is debatable because I haven't experienced non being particularly could be real. Right. I don't know. But like, you know, culture is telling you X, Y, Z that's truth. Okay. My, my physical reality is governed by, you know, certain parameters of perception. And that tells me what is happening, quote unquote. But if you get a fever or you're on drugs or something, you know, all of a sudden that those parameters aren't stable like there's no certainty within your even uh imbibing awareness of reality as as a material you know machine or whatever you want to put it as um even you know tomes whether it's finnegan's wake or the bible or whatever like there's nothing that has certainty to it 
So I'm kind of just wondering, and there's no wrong answers. I'm just curious as a Gemini, uh, how you guys, do you find that your trajectories have changed? Like it feels like we're all initiating many times in a life, like never ending story. Uh, the book, I guess, but the film that I've seen where it's like, okay, you're in the thing reading itself and you become self-aware. I mean, that's when he rides off in the sunset with Falcor or whatever at the end. Right. But he's projecting himself into a, another dimensionality, i.e. the story as a Treyu and going through different initiation rites of, you know, like the, um, the gates of the lasers that check out your heart, very hall of Mott stuff. Right. Or the mirror of the ice. You know what I'm saying? If you've seen the like, uh, eighties, nineties film, never ending story. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious how you guys are maneuvering through this. I mean, it's crazy COVID times. We've had SJ Anderson on a few times. He's into astrology. We've gone into depth about just the craziness that he was expecting in terms of Saturn ruling Aquarius. Um, clearly there's a lot of cognitive dissonance at the same, like sometimes I'm like Trump is the collective id. And sometimes, you know, there's people who think he's a time traveling saint. There's some people who think he's the antichrist, right? It seems there's a lot of stories going around and we're resolving stories, simultaneously not resolving stories. It feels possibly very wakian at this point, uh, very surreal, high levels of novelty. So I don't know, uh, whatever you want to make out of that, like what, um, how do you function? <laughs> like what's your hope? How do you function? What gets you through it? Um, how are you making sense of the dream? Whatever you feel like saying. Jim, I'm just checking. Um, I was just checking the, the film that you mentioned, the Congress. Um, oh, you need to see that shit. It's dope. Yeah, well, I, I realize I'm just looking at it. It's from it's based on Stanislaw Lem's um, book, the Futurological Congress, which is you got to read that book. Like it's amazing. But I, I really want to see this film now. Um, but in that book, um, instead of having this kind of uh, like, for lack of a better term, duality, which you find in like the Truman Show or the Matrix or something, where it's like uh, um, the real world. And then the matrix or the real world and the set in in futurological congress i don't know if it's the same in the, in the movie but there's multiple levels of reality um and they're determined by drugs you know like the 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 government or whatever keeps um keeps people into one level of reality with certain drugs but then if they change the drugs they go into another level of reality and and so on and the, there's no sense that there's any end to it you know um so I've had a sense that it could it could even loop back, you know, it could be a, an endless loop, um, which is sort of self-generating. But like a Mobius but then again, strip kind of thing. Yeah, but then again, it's like uh, so it's the same thing that we've been talking about. It's like um, it's still samsara, which is it's which is still nirvana, you know. Um, so in a way, we never get out of it, but it's not. Um, it doesn't have to be understood as a as a prison either, you know. Um, like if you if you look outside your window, you know you see beauty constantly, uh, all the time. You know, um, in in the little details, and this is something that, uh, and I guess this is what like your question is: how do you get through it? And this is something that you find in writers all over the place: is pay attention to the details. Um, this is something that Kurt Vonnegut used to say all the time. You know, um, but Blake would always talk about the minute particulars. And you find the same thing in uh, in Ezra Pound, like the luminous details, and in in Joyce, the idea of epiphanies. Um, but uh, in in Kerouac, I was just reading about Kerouac, who's influenced by all these guys as well. But he he talked about the riotous um, particulars, you know. Um, so it's these things, you know, like just just 
when you go outside, pay attention to the details, you know, the details of beauty that you see all that are there everywhere. You know, if you, if, if we you really pay attention to, um, according to all of our senses, you know, like, uh, um, visual beauty and the, the beauty of sound, the beauty of touch, um, the beauty of relation with, with other people and other things. Um, so it's just a matter of being aware of that and, I think that's all, all we can do, really. Um, once you're aware of that, then you start to see the flow of, of those things and noticing that there's there's no real separation between those things and you or those uh, or other people and you. Um, it, it just adds to the sense of beauty, you know? Um, and so... It's funny because... Oh, go ahead. Well, I think a lot of people now are getting caught up in media, you know? Um caught up in uh especially internet um and uh internet internet becomes our main focus of media like i guess some people still watch tv or whatever but uh um the internet shows us certain things and and of course uh we can get all all kinds of different perspectives through the internet right but it's still connected up to this this kind of one way of looking at things right whereas if we just turn it off for a while and go outside um it's a different experience you know it's it's qualitatively different um so i think i i think it's it's a, it's a matter of stepping away from it for a while and realizing that it's just a uh it's just a sideshow you know um very much be still and know kind of thing because even with within synchronicity i mean i've paid attention to the sync book since about 2013 uh maybe 14 but like there's been a lot of interesting dynamics going on there i've, I've actually you know been to a sync summit in boise i didn't go to the second part i couldn't but um it's it's interesting because you start seeing people who pay attention to details so arduously that uh it can really distort their participation with reality i'm trying to say that in the nicest way possible um mm. i mean leclerc is a good example it seems like he paid attention like you don't stare into the abyss too long or something like that um and it's in a weird way i've kind of pulled back and and um kind of i don't know if there's a philosophy but it's just like the uh the necessary what is is what is like it's necessarily you know a causation that cause many causations of multiple dimensionals have have weaved the tapestry to get you to this infinite present moment right and the past is not really what we think it is and the future isn't right it, but this quickly gets into presuppositional um reality like what do you believe right so some people mm. might believe like history is very real and like you could walk into it i even i, I don't know it gets confusing but i guess um what I'm kind of wondering is, I mean, you're a Virgo, so it's not terribly surprising you say this, but it's like just kind of like calming your, and being grateful and calming yourself in the dream as opposed to maybe obsessing. But also simultaneously, it seems like if you look at a grain of rice, you see the universe. Mm. So um, something I've noticed, we've had Richard Rudd, who did the Gene Keys, come on, and he's got this model, which is based off the I Ching, ironically, and DNA and all sorts of stuff, astrology. Um, getting into like, you know, every hexagram or, you know, in this case, the jinkies, it has what's called a, a shadow, a, a gift in a city. And you could almost look at it as like the seed, the fruit, and then like the tree or something like that. But, um, 
somebody's this is where it gets really tricky because we live in a democratized reality somewhat where we're trying to make equality and every you know open access you know uh, open source kind of stuff anybody can you know i guess the the reigning philosophy would be something to be to the effect of like anybody should have the option to do ayahuasca or dmt or lsd or anything where and i'm not saying that's bad or good i'm not really giving a judgment but it seems like some people will come to their epiphany through silence some people will come to their epiphany through psychedelics um, maybe both. Maybe you know what I mean. Like it seems like we're all trying to sell each other our paths mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that, and that can become problematic. And it's all in the one dream. Good, it's fine. It's consciousness exploring all p- potentialities or something. But um, I, I think I've noticed, especially with Syncbook stuff, uh, where certain people are jamming really hard. Like for your, you, example, are way into Finnegan's Wake. That might that may or may not be, and you have gotten quite a bit out of it. And I think that's a key for your illumination, right? Or something like that. It's like a key for ascension for you. Um, sure. Whereas it may not, it might actually crack somebody else's skull and make them not like work properly. I'm being dire here and using a metaphor. But um, what are your thoughts in terms of synchronicity? Because it gets really kind of a more like it's magic. Okay, what is that? It's uh, you know it gets weird even trying to talk to sync heads about sync. Um, what are your impressions of what it is? How should people trying to be looking at the same things the same way? Is that even possible? Like, you know, um, um, if you kind of catch my drift. Yeah, no, it, it's it's amazing when it does happen, when we can have conversations because um, our sort of uh, grid of symbols correspond in certain ways. You know, they, that's amazing and kind of a miracle that it happens, you know, that we're able to even connect like that. Um, but no, we shouldn't, of course, try to uh, push our own models on others, you know. But the main thing with synchronicity is that, uh, as as Jung sort of defined it, it's it's meaningful coincidences, right? That's what synchronicity is. It's a meaningful coincidence. So coincidences happen all the time, you know? Like, things coincide constantly. Necessarily, they coincide. In a weird way, what's not coinciding, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I've always been like, what's not syncing? It's just a matter of how you align with it, kind of. Yeah, well, the thing is with sync, though, the reason why everything doesn't sync is because it's a meaningful, uh, uh, synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. And so it's it's how much we assign meaning to these things, you know, like uh, um, like I could I, I could be walking down the street and I could be thinking of a car and then I see a car, you know, it's, it's like it's, co- it's coincidence maybe, but I don't, I, there's no meaning. I, I don't assign any meaning to it at all, you know. And so... Of course, the assignment of meaning is completely subjective. You know, it's it's um, whatever we've experienced in our lives, whatever we've read, etc. All all sort of determine what meaning we place on things. Um, but we can't assume that's going to be the same for everybody. Uh, like you've probably had that experience where you had a, sort of a mind-blowing experience, a mind-blowing synchronicity, and you try to relate it to another person. And then, and then that other person which is just like, uh, no, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know? They're just like... And that's totally depressing when that happens. It's yeah, like, it's depressing, but it's, but it's, uh, it's natural. And of course, it's going to be like that, you know? Um, so, so then it's a matter of taking a step back and looking at the assignment of meaning to things, you know, like, um, so different people, like you're saying, have these sort of different grids that they apply on people, uh, apply on people and situations on everything. Um, sometimes involving different numbers. Yeah. 
um, people get obsessed with different numbers, um, like seeing the number 23 or 42 or whatever all over the place. Um, for me, it's like 628, which is the amount of pages in the Infinigan's Wake. Um, but it's part of your codex of life. Yeah, but in themselves, they're meaningless. You know, they they are. Uh, um, if you try to explain that to another person, it's like maybe they'll connect up with it, um, but it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter. And and probably if you take on their lens, you will be able to see twenty threes everywhere or whatever, right? But uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that that's an aspect to truth or reality. It just means that meaning itself is the big thing, right? And so I think that's what we should take into account. You know, we take a step back and not look at these synchronicities and trying to um, and trying to uh, think that the synchronicities themselves really show what reality is like. But take a step back and say, ah, it's the process of assigning meaning that's that's the big thing, right? Um, so we look into that process itself, then then we'll find maybe how things begin to work, if that makes sense. Well, you seem you see yeah, it makes sense. Um, you seem like you've kept your sanity more or less. It feels like people who deal with psychedelics um, and big ideas such as synchromysticism and stuff like that um, pull go into dark nights of the soul chapel perilous moments right um some never to return or whatever but even pkd robert anton wilson mckenna was it was i don't know enough about mckenna personally or uh pkd but it seems like they were kind of in the same dream multi you know like not too far away from each other all, multiple times like he was having a nervous breakdown so am i kind of thing hyper resonances um what what do you? How how do you? Uh, what what advice would you have for people who are trying to navigate the waters, um, to not get swept up in it? Because it seems you've got pretty sure footing. I don't know if that's just like you know one step in front of the other Virgo uh, tenacity going for you or what. But um, it it's, it seems like you haven't gotten swept up into insanity, if you know what I mean. Well, the I, yeah, I think that it, the basic things is is don't take things literally, you know. Um, just don't take them literally. Everything is, everything is metaphoric, you know, including including history, including science, and including all these things that people think are rock solid. You know, it it continues to be metaphoric. Um, and if you look at it in those terms, then uh, you're not going to be sucked into one way of thinking. And so the problem of getting sucked into one way of thinking or or a type of dogma or type of it's it's really a type of mini dogma. It's it's like uh, it's like being cast into a sea and sort of flailing about and trying to find any bit of debris to, to try to float on, you know? And so people are going from piece of debris to another piece of debris and trying to find these different systems of thinking. Um, and you find that a lot in the kind of new age thinking. Um, but it's a matter of just uh, realizing that all those things are... Uh, they're all part of the <laughs> they're all part of the tumult and maelstrom that's going on you know there is no solid ground it's like what McLuhan said um McLuhan is sort of riffing off this uh short story by by uh poe um just get swept down with the maelstrom once you pay attention to what the maelstrom is doing then you can kind of figure it out and maybe um catch something that will let your uh 
let you spin out of it, you know. But uh, um, if you're trying to flail about and trying to catch something, then it never works. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience of of almost drowning. Um, I have. I uh, it almost happened to me in the west coast of Canada, um, where I got sort of swept under by an undertow, and at first I panicked underwater. And of course, I couldn't breathe, and it was just like I I was flailing about trying to trying to swim out of it, and it wasn't working. And so finally, I just gave up. Um, I was like, no, I, I I can't do it, and I just gave up. And then, and then the current took me out and brought me back in. And, and that's, that's apparently the way you have to deal with it anyways, right? Like that's, everybody says, yeah, that's how you deal with undertoes. I didn't, I didn't know about that at the time, but, uh, yeah, it's this sort of process of, of just, just, just going with it, not trying to, uh, not trying to flail and catch, catch something and, um, so again, it's it's not it's not trying to find something to put onto reality that gives it meaning, but just to look into the process of what is meaning itself, and just just be aware of that process process of assigning meaning to things. Um, and then right. that becomes it seems like that, resistance. What you're kind of talking about is like resistance versus submission, which is you know even. Uh, uh, Islam, I think, means submission to God or something like that, right? So everyone's kind of trying this in different ways, and I do like your analogy with like trying to find something in the uh, the sea to hold on to. It seems like this is just part of being human in the in the dream. Like we've we've prescribed ourselves this experience or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's another thing that comes up in in Buddhism, right? Like, so we're uh, we're actually there is no self, right? But we we constantly are in this project of trying to find something to fill in the lack inside of ourselves, right? Um, so all these projects of trying to uh, trying to fill in this hole deep within us, but the realization is is that uh, no, the hole is is the good thing. The hole is the hole in a way, you know. Like uh, that's that's the point that we want to get to. It's just to um, to let go, um, yeah, I know in, in, in Islam that gets translated as submission. Um, and it seems like from a kind of Western point of view, submission is, is a bad word. You know, it, it seems like submission to authority. And I, I don't like that idea either. Um, but it's not, I, I think that's a, it's sort of a bad trans, translation. Um, it's more like a sense of letting go, you know, submitting um, it's like Lieutenant Dan. He was resisting quite a bit, struggling with his identity um, in Forrest Gump, where he's like, I'm supposed to die. I didn't do it. Oh, my God, my destiny. Very much attached to certain meta narratives <laughs> or whatever. And then at some point, I mean, if you've seen Forrest Gump, he goes in the ocean, has his moment with God, whatever that looks like for him individually, and then has this grace and peace about him. Um, I think in a weird way, we've asked to come into a machine where we punctuate from ignorance to experience and that's a weird thing if we were all experienced i mean this presuppositions once again it's like if we were all one unified consciousness originally and we've fallen into the gnostic myth or however you want to put this and we're remembering right uh use a word amnesia i'm forgetting the word now but it's like a remembering amnesis yeah there you go uh try to describe what that is well everybody knows the idea of uh amnesia losing losing your memory right um, so anamnesis is regaining your memory, you know, it's losing so it's your the, forgetfulness. Yeah. So it's the idea of, um, 
the idea of uh, in Greek mythology, you cross the river Lethe um, to enter this world, and so you forget everything that happened to you in your past life. Um, but anamnesis is the process of remembering again, you know, um, the loss. Yeah, exactly. The loss of forgetting. Um, but that, that was funny because Raphael's <laughs> good. Oh, no, no, you, you go ahead. Raphael's image on, we're on Skype, right? Uh, which we normally don't do this on, but we're doing it today on here. Uh, and his image of whatever his icon or however you want to put this is, uh, Dolly's persistence of memory. Um, <laughs> Right. So it's like kind of feels like what we're talking about, like that image is, you know, each of those clocks, whatever melting is like the individual trying to make sense relative to itself. Ultimately, it's with the surrealist kind of burning man plane of being that is uh, the, the the infinite now. Um, it feels like, I don't know, maybe we passed a hundredth monkey kind of thing, but and maybe I'm new age and hopeful and overly optimistic, but I feel like we're entering the dream. Um differently now and maybe it's a matter of frequency shifting maybe it's a multiverse shift i'm not really i don't want to put my finger down on any one thing maybe we've always been in a bardo and now we're not we're coming out of it i can't even explain what it might be right um but rafael do you have any kind of thoughts um in terms of what we just discussed in terms of permanence and non-being etc like that how does that fit into your ontological perspective again i have to be honest i'm not exactly sure how to respond (laughs) Well, I think we've been very committed to, uh, and I say you and I, because we tend to talk about Bashar, uh, more new age things, astrology, uh, things that have anchoring in story, even if it's in the Bashar sense of like, you're the storyteller, anything's possible, tell a story. Um, It's presupposing a being, I guess. well, yeah, sure, and that's what you mentioned earlier when you said you you have you don't know about your security and you don't know about your being. This is here. You know, and I don't want to come off as too arrogant, but that's kind of like a thing that really everyone has to come to terms with by themselves, whether they exist now, whether they allow themselves through whatever method to look at time through a different lens, let's say. And then to me, many of these things that, you know, we've been talking about also in terms of metaphysical law, whether you take the Kabbalion, whether then you take some channel material that contains the same metaphysics, or you take the Taoist principles. To me, it's never concluded, and it's an infinite, you know, progression of stories, and it will keep evolving and shifting. That's for sure. But in terms of like baseline manual how-to, we got it all. At least that's my opinion. I don't know. I'd be curious what's North thinks. But to me, the situation is really blatantly obvious. Yeah, keep uh, keep going. Well, basically, I'm trying to I poke him like with a stick every now and then. But he's like, "Why is there a stick?" <laughs> I, I just no. Well, I just want to know, Znor, if for you, if for you, it seems like muddy or strange or confused, because also what you mentioned, you know, going through like a dissociative phase, or like syncing everything and then seeing cards and numbers everywhere and so on. That's great. Then what one can do, which is, I mean, if one wants to, I guess, simple enough, you just create an interface. Just like you create an interface to communicate with your higher self through numerology, channeling, whatever you may be doing, syncing your Facebook feed, whatever. Um, same thing you do just with interacting with humans. And then the more specific you get, then you can get quite a few 
layers they're not really veiling you but more like you know interface codes to be able to communicate with different individuals in different you know frameworks including for example their understanding of uh, time and how comfortable they are with the paradox of continuity and simultaneity right and all of those things so but for me what's just interesting is that it seems and I'm always wondering about this, that when I'm like, you get a few breadcrumbs or you get some information, then you may have some experiences. And for me, the question is, how much does it take to make a decision um, or to like logically deduce what the situation really presents? Um, because then again, what's curious to me is that at least the esoteric parts, both of so-called science and especially religion, they always got it. And they never change their position, you know, <laughs> whether you call it perpetual perennial philosophy uh, or, you know, then some metaphysics, it's always stayed the same. And uh, yeah, and also I, I couldn't collect any information that to the contrary, that would say that this is not just what it is. Again, whether you call it Taoism, perennial philosophy, some channeling material, metaphysics, Kabbalion, that's just what it is, is it not? which includes what you said about stories within stories, layers always growing, shifting, forgetting, all of that. Yeah, I like that idea of um, like an interface with with uh, with the world and like even a sort of esoteric interface. Um, the, the key thing, I guess, with that is, um, I, this is what Jim was saying before, is that the problem can be that people um, uh, get too attached to their interface and then if that happens then the interface itself becomes toxic um, they start to think of it as a dogma and if you look at the history of religion that's always what's happened is that uh, um, instead of instead of it being kind of a like a poetic uh, metaphor interface with reality it starts to become a dogma and starts to become a truth and then um, that's where people start to lose it and i think what's right. happening now i think what's happening now is not the um we're past the stage maybe of new world spanning religions um but we're on the face of people creating their own private religions and then losing themselves in that and sort of um, kind of a more schizophrenic phase i guess than a than a sort of mass um, psychosis phase in terms of religion anyways um, so that that's the only that's the only caution about about that is that uh don't become attached to how Hold on, you view the loosely world. <laughs> yeah right yeah i'd say in a sense that's included what certainly increases as i like to call it is the x factor However, the basic understanding that is kind of, you know, how do they say, you know, your words in God's ears, then who is God? So I'm telling you guys now, <laughs> I'll charge you with this. Um, and the idea being basically that, you know, obviously we had a sort of Kali Yuga, complete confusion. People know very little about anything and the least about their own souls or their own psychology, their own bodies, uh, so on and so forth. So now we're switching that up again and uh, I'm wondering, let's say, or I'm just excited to see if and if yes, to what extent we actually manage to get back to a new common understanding, which, for example, includes the idea of everyone knowing that each entity fundamentally is eternal 
and that, as Bashar likes to say, everyone can realize all desires they could possibly have without the need of hurting themselves or anybody else in the process. And because to me, it still seems simple enough, but I also understand this is not a matter of presenting a theory or even proving anything. It's, a, you know, individual and collective development of consciousness. But I very much do see this potentiality and I certainly know my preference of living in such a reality than this where people are just so confused. And by now I'm even so in so far as to say, even in a sense, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if I would believe I'm not eternal, if I would act very differently, um, maybe. But um, yeah, so I'm just wondering if these things will become common knowledge again, as they technically anyhow should be if you know religions would really be understood and the thing i just want to say about that is what's quite apparent to me is that there's usually an esoteric and exoteric part of religion and also with its own lore and scripture and individuals populating it and then uh, people just lose touch with the esoteric meanings and the fact that it is all meant you know in a metaphysical way or that there is a certain approach and also that within the esoteric cores all religions again in my understanding are fundamentally connected and again the same and if that would be kept in view then still everyone can be Wiccan and you can be whatever you want <clears throat> if you understand that you're drawing from the same source and if your belief system includes that and also ideally the unconditionally loving acceptance of anybody else choosing a different interface because if you really believe everything is unity then everyone is connected to the same thing whether they believe it themselves or not yeah, it's interesting. We were talking about McKenna before, um, and McKenna always talks about the archaic revival. And so the idea of this is going back to a sort of paleolithic uh, mindset before the, the onset of civilization in the state. Um, but then if we look into um, the cave paintings in Europe, the uh, paleolithic pave, uh, cave paintings, um, they've done like carbon dating on these on these uh, paintings and they found that sometimes these paintings have there's intervals of thousands of years um, between them so you have different paintings sort of one on top of the other um, but you could have something from 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 way back like like 20,000 years ago and then another one from like 15,000 years ago which means uh, these people who are involved in this were, were involved in the same understanding, the same spiritual or religious understanding for thousands of years. We don't even know how, how, how long it goes back. Um, so our own religions, historical religions, are nowhere near as old as that. Um, so, so when you're talking about a, a kind of a unity of understanding, yeah, that, that is the unity of understanding. And maybe that's the sort of... Um, unity that will will come again at some point, you know. Um, but I imagine I watched Werner Herzog's movie again because of your book, actually. Uh, right. The intro talking about the cave of forgotten dream or lost dreams or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, fascinating soundtrack. I mean, if people haven't seen this, check this shit out. Beautiful soundtrack. Like you're saying, just abysses of time, as I think he puts it, um, between certain interactions. It's not, you know, it, it's just crazy. It's like a time capsule. Even the way it was found was synchronistic, you could even say, right? It's like this mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily going to be found, like it was hidden. Um, so it's funny because we're just it, – it, but I tend to also lean more heavily personally towards the McKenna kind of um, uh, Tila Darshadon, um, 
kind of what you were alluding to uh, with the Romans verse, talking about creation groaning and becoming kind of self-aware. Right. Like I think it, it cut itself off from an intrinsic nature that's there. It like veiled. I mean, it's the veil, right? It veiled itself. Yeah. Now the veil's being kind of torn, uh, you know, <laughs> stitch by stitch. And it seems we've really escalated that veil tearing. Um, and it's just continuing more and more. It'll be funny, you know, I, I don't know if a pot, I don't know if you've seen, um, we've had a Hannah, um, Craven on before uh, for an episode that was about, uh, what was that? Uh, even neon Evangelion. Yeah, neon Genesis Evangelion. It's this anime. I mean, if you're into mm. anime, um, Raphael had seen it as a kid. Hannah was all about it. I watched it. It's dope. It's got apotheosis and Kabbalah all up well, in you're, it. You're in Japan. Or yeah, I'm, I'm in Japan, so I know. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, should know about Evangeli- it. Yeah. Evangelion's yeah, everywhere. <laughs> well, right, and I'm not going to spoil it too much, but at the end, it's like uh, uh, you know, Kabbalistic apotheosis, essentially, which is like you know, the New Jerusalem. You haven't seen it, Snor, just to make understand it. Wait, sorry, you have not have you seen not seen it? it? I mean, you've been aware of it peripherally. No, no, but I've not. seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. For okay, sure. so I don't. Okay, okay so okay. spoilers for who haven't seen it. You know the end where they're like clapping and saying "good job," like okay, yeah, you became aware of yourself in a new way or whatever. You had to struggle through this story of history and like separation and become apotheosized or however one wants to put that. That's very much like transcendental object at the end of time. Very much like Chardin's vision of things, kind of like evolving to an omega point i think he called it um new jerusalem stuff in the bible where it's talking about you know like all the tri- like isaiah's prophecies essentially like every tribe is fundamentally different so ethiopians and their leopard prints are not the celts or whatever but they all value each other and respect each other and 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 like kind of nod almost like a curtain call or something where it's like oh we all did this production this was amazing what a what a weird trip what a long, strange trip it's been. I think we're kind of moving towards that. I don't know how AI plays into this. I don't, I mean, you know, people have very different stories. Some people are waiting for aliens to come. Some people are waiting for internal apotheosis, like, you know, the philosopher's stone inside coming to fruition or whatever. What were you going to say? Maybe well, some people big, aren't this, waiting. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the big thing is, is, um, is it an individual awakening or is it a collective awakening, right? Like, um, um, so I think. Probably both. Maybe like uh, so we have this sense, I think, because of history, right? So this time in the Paleolithic or whatever, prehistory, right? Um, Most importantly, so, pre-literacy, like McLuhan would say, like we rewired our brains with literacy. Yeah, except there's a they're painting images, right? They might have their own sort of uh, syntax in the image. We we have no idea what they actually portrayed by these images right we can't even put um, on their shoes we don't know how no. <laughs> it's like yeah it sucks no idea like the the closest that we can come to it is studying um tribal societies today or in in historic period but even even that's just speculation that these the tribal societies in historical time had the same thinking as as them you know but 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 the idea is that we've entered into this phase of history and Again, in in, um, in Joyce, it gets called like the nightmare of history. So that history is history is the nightmare that I'm trying to awaken from, and so the wake, in a sense, is waking up from history. Um, but doesn't that happen in the individual awakening as well, right? So in the individual awakening, you are sort of awakening from history, um, and so uh, in a sense. Once the individual does wake up, um, history ends, 
and there is no need for this uh, omega point um, collective awakening, right? Um, you are the omega point. Yeah, it's, so it's this paradox of the bodhisattva. Like the bodhisattva comes to awaken um, all all beings, right? But he or she does that in the understanding that all beings are already awake. All all beings already have Buddha consciousness in them all the time, anyways, right? Um, but still, they have to continue their mission out of compassion, like just click people onto that. Um, so will there ever come a point where everybody awakens at once? There's this omega point where collectively we all awaken. And I think this is something that McKenna, looking at the acceleration of history and the acceleration of novelty, thought was going to happen, you know. But um, in his own understanding, he's coming from this idea of the archaic revival or looking, re-looking at the Paleolithic, where it's it's timelessness you know it's it it has already happened and it's happening right now even even though we still have this illusion of history and it's still continuing um it's already ended um so yeah i'm not i'm not sure anymore i i I used to think there was this this sense of uh the end of history and that even goes into politics too like that's um it goes in philosophy goes through hegel and into marx the whole of marxism is involved in this idea that there will be this final dialectic in um historical materialism it's no longer even necessarily spiritual but history will end because there'll be a final clash between the classes and then that will enter into this final phase of of advanced communism of classlessness um but advanced communism only takes you to the same place as what Engels and Marx called primitive communism, which is what we were talking about before, you know? Um, so, yeah, so my point here is like, maybe we get to the point where we realize that we're, it's, we're already awake. There is no point in trying to have this collective awakening. Um, it's, it's also like the, uh, the brethren of the the free spirit, the uh, the medieval heretics, who who thought that because Christ came, and Christ has already forgiven the sins of all humanity, then already we're back at the garden. So already we're 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 back before history again, because um, he only had we to do it once. just have to choose to accept it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like the idea did. that. Yeah, so the idea it it comes uh, in the in the Bible. You have the Book of Revelation, which talks about the uh, the end of history as well, right? The end, of the, the the final judgment, right? But um, the revelation or the apocalypse came with uh, the the resurrection, right? The 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 resurrection when the uh, the veil at the temple, like you said, um, was ripped in half, you know. Um, so that was already the unveiling. That was already the apocalypse that happened then. And so this is something that PKD talks about, is that um, it's the black iron prison that prevents us from realizing that, you know? And that's why we're trapped in this continual loop. Um, and the empire is still here. We're still in Roman times because we haven't realized that the, the veil has already been ripped and the empire has already ended. 
Um, it's very uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, you know, strike me down, but I'll be stronger than you ever imagined, Darth. It seems like just acceptance um, at some level, like like what Raphael's talking about, um, looks different to different kind of subspecies. You know, a parrot and a rhino aren't the same, just as individualized are we, human beings. Um, but if we kind of just accept you know, if we're grateful for it, even though it's maddening and confusing and stuff, it seems like we've fallen into this weird trip with literacy, logic, um, you know, platonic thinking. Um, it, it's it's necessary. It seems like, you know, we had to explore these realms, but we've gotten stuck with certain kind of, it's almost like the record skips back and it's looping, like, you know, PKD looping on this one idea. And, and it feels like the pressure of the Tao is building so much that it's going to break through you know, whether we want it to or not, I guess we want it to, it depends on presuppositions, obviously, but, uh, we could go on forever and I don't want to take up your whole day. Um, I guess, uh, I want to get you back on here, maybe with another sync head. If you want to jam with them, I'd love to hear you talk with Rupert Sheldrake or somebody that'd be fun. But, <laughs> um, I mean, if you're down for that kind of thing. So I guess, uh, we haven't talked much about the book. Let's just talk for a second or two. Cause I'm kind of curious. Basically you're doing a blog. Um, we'll probably have an episode about your book at some point cause it's dope, but it's like you were doing the blog, uh, it's still going on group name for grape juice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's continuing at some point, I guess you decided this shit's so hot fire and I don't disagree. And other people said this shit's worth, you know, time capsuling essentially. Um, what was that process like and what have, you know, have you enjoyed it? Do you, is the product what you wanted? All this kind of jazz. I know it's a group kind of effort, um, with some people I've met Kaylee and Alan, Jason Barrera. Um, but you know, what are your, uh, takeaways from this whole process now that you're an author, you're not just a blogger, you're an author. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's kind of a weird distinction. Like I, I really consider, um, people who blog, especially if they blog seriously, um, which a lot of people that we know, um, Jim are like that. I, I would consider them authors as well, you know, like, uh, in just in a different media. Um, but the process of, the process of getting this book out um, really started in 2016, so it's been a it's been quite a while, and there's it's been hard just to keep everybody focused on it, and a lot of different things happened along the along the way that uh, made it made it take longer. Um, but I think it ended up coming out at right uh, the right time. Um, so I'm yeah I'm really happy with it. Um, yeah, especially uh, especially Kaylee's um, cover and the illustrations that she's done for it, um, and there's there's really interesting stories behind that as well. You know, like uh, how she came up with it, and and I've I've studied like after having the hard copy of the book, like studying the cover and and finding my own correspondences with all these different figures on the cover with with a with the zodiac especially you know it's like i think she's unintentionally sort of in an alp sense like recreated this uh kind of earthbound zodiac you know which is amazing she's quite um, magical so it doesn't shock me like i mean you know give a mouse a cookie they'll make something happen yeah yeah so um but it, yeah it's been great um especially working with alan um Alan it's only seventeen dollars. Another seventeen resonator for the record. Well, the, the seventeen. That's why I I, uh, 
I sort of pounced on that at the beginning because there's 17 all the the reason why it's 17 uh, 17 dollars is because like you said before the wake takes 17 years to write and there's 17 chapters exactly in the wake um, so this is recurrence with this number 17 as well um, and then of course the star card star star and Sirius um, which is a whole other conversation but no, it's and you've been, had it's, many. If people haven't checked out Always Records and shit on SyncBook, Zenora's been a guest many times. You're honestly one of the best. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't say this lightly. I, I'm in a jet, double Gemini. I like a lot of things, but it's like there's a few people that I want to hear what they have to say. Um, it doesn't mean it's gospel. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean you know what I mean. But like, it's very interesting. It's like you know when people are like, oh, if you could talk to anybody, it's like Beethoven would have been fascinating to talk to, you, or Walt Disney, or <laughs> whoever, right? And I think you're one of these people where it's like there's a shit ton going on under the, underneath the hood, and I might not understand it all, or you know, grok it all, or agree with it all. Uh, I tend to vibe with where you're going. It seems the more Bodhisattva hopeful route, not so much the uh, Leclerc route, um, particularly. Like it seems you like you keep the magic fun um though you're seriously questioning what's going on um and willing to even question yourself which is a big deal some people don't put the scrutiny on themselves um yeah that's that's one thing that we should try to emphasize too or at least i should um just to make it clear is that uh um it's not a it's not a point of of negating resistance either i think resistance is very important especially resistance to um the power structures that exist in the world right at the moment. Um, but yeah, I remember this time I had this, uh, this professor once who's a, uh, he's a Zen Buddhist, um, Japanese, uh, Zen Buddhist, like an ordained monk. And, uh, we were talking about, uh, mass protests, like anti-globalization protests and, uh, and awareness, and I asked him, well, what about uh, what about that kind of resistance, like people throwing Molotov cocktails at, at the at the police or, or whatever, right? Um, sh- should we, uh, in in Buddhist thinking, try to uh, eliminate that? And he said, you can do that sort of thing. There's n- there's nothing saying that you can't do that, but do it with awareness, you know. And so you do it with awareness in the hope that when you are aware of it, fully aware of it, you realize that certain forms of resistance like that, um, probably in most cases, don't don't work. They're not effective and they're they're harmful, you know. Um, but the the key the key thing is awareness, you know. So be resistant, but uh, also know <laughs> what's going on, you know. Um, so I simultaneity. It's do and yeah. be. Right, as yeah. wants so, to be, do, be, do. so it's not it's not a matter of like sitting back and uh, and letting the world go by and not not being a part of it. Um, you're a part of this world, you know that the uh, <laughs> the ants, you know, <laughs> the ants who come into Rivendell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like guys, don't just sit on your laurels. Down, or, you know? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and and it's funny because they had to get goaded personally. It seems like pe- people have to attach personally to stories which we're telling ourselves to jump into the dream that much more do the dosi do and stuff um i guess any kind of parting thoughts i want to like i said have you on again um maybe more explicitly about your book we kind of just shot the shit today and got an idea of who you are which is i think is important it's good to hear little anecdotes just to get a p- 
portrait of a person um the why of why they is what they is so um yeah i personally prefer shooting the shit to anything else actually i could t- i mean joyce did it well and would, you know it, it doesn't surprise me um you're very cool you're very gracious for coming on here um onegashimasu right so yeah. uh but the idea here is is um we'll probably do an episode specifically about the book but kind of any parting thoughts to anybody who's listening whatever's clever uh now would be that time mm. well uh yeah check out the book if if uh if you're interested it's called death sweat of the cluster it has a beautiful cover to it and beautiful uh illustrations and hopefully some interesting writing as well um but yeah if you get a chance to look at look into it um and yeah i had a great time talking to you guys sorry for the technical difficulties at the beginning um and sorry for almost throwing in the towel it's all good but, <laughs> but, uh, oh dude yeah. i know once you said that my heart sick and i was like no i'm not this is like <laughs> i felt like a doctor with like a baby who's born dead or something i'm like i'm bringing this shit back this is, i'm not gonna let this die in my hands no no well, I, I, I was pretty uh, i just i just woken up it's probably wrong side of the bed kind of thing Say lovey, don't sweat it. Uh, don't death sweat, cluster it, right? No, but people should check out the book. Um, it's fascinating. I've read maybe a third of it, and uh, it's fluid. It's relevant, even though it's from you know you're lifting it from blogs from back in 2012, 2013, and stuff. Uh, it's very cogent, well read. If you haven't read Philip K. Dick or ever heard of McKenna or uh, know who Marshall McLuhan is or all, any of these kind of great heavy thinkers. Um, he does a succinct job of trying to clue you in onto the realities that exist. It'll probably goad you into your own pursuits of uh, pleasure through awareness, uh, the senses, etc. I do appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, like I say a lot on here. Uh, I don't know if you're into C.S. Lewis and Narnia stuff, but like Reaper oh, Chief definitely. is always like, yeah, further up, further in. I mean, this is a yeah, fractal yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a. Uh, uh, I, I love that part. <laughs> it makes me cry so every time. Websites. What's the best place to find you, actually? Um, yeah, group name for grape juice. If you put that down, uh, group name, uh, group name for grape juice is my uh, is my blog. It's the best way to cyberstalk this kid, guys. So uh, do it. Enjoy the land of the rising sun. Uh, come back on. Don't be a stranger. We'll get some people that you're comfortable talking with, or maybe some new alchemy can go down. Um, but no matter what, yeah, your writing is beautiful. I really do. Like I said, and I'm not shitting you like the intro, like was inspiring. Um, I'm an ENFP Myers-Briggs thing. It's like inspiration gets me off that worked. <laughs> like it was like, Oh shit. Yeah. 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 So find <laughs> the others guys. They're out there. It's Norris, one of them. Hopefully you check out his stuff. Um, and ultimately enjoy the fucking ride. Yeah. So thanks a lot guys. Uh, Raphael has been nice to meet you too. Hopefully you get to talk more. Yes, and you as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Jim, as always. And thank you all for listening <clears throat> to this episode of Team Rabbit Hole. Enjoy yourselves. Radio Pocket.